baseball fans. It's time to take a trip from coast to coast across Major League Baseball. There it goes, a long drive. If it stays fair, home run. One strike away. Sandy into his windup. Here's the pitch. Swung out and missed a perfect game. Fly ball deep left center. Grissom on the run. Yes, yes, yes. The Atlanta Braves have given you a championship. Listen to this crowd. Braves and baseball talk straight from the diamond. Here's Grant McCauley. Hello and welcome to another episode of From the Diamond. I'm Grant McCauley. This episode a little bit late. Had a lot of West Coast baseball to keep up with over the past week or so. And as it happened, it ended up being an okay road trip for the Braves. But I'll be flying solo on this episode and kind of wrapping up that and talking about a lot of different Braves stories. We got a lot of news that has come from that road trip. It was a good one for the Braves. Not how you wanted to go in Los Angeles, but outside of that, you have to be pretty happy when you leave for 10 games and come home with a 6-4 and four record. And some of the trends and some of the stories and some of the things that have happened that we'll get to on this episode, there's a lot to like about it and a lot to project toward the future as far as some of the changes that we've seen, including in the lineup, including some in the bullpen that we'll talk about as well. Just a lot to get to. And, of course, wanted to answer your questions on this episode as well. And let you kind of chime in on what you want to know about the Braves, kind of from where I'm sitting, from what I see, and from what might possibly play out over the coming days, weeks, and or months as we plow through the 2019 season. We're approaching Memorial Day, which is really, for me, the first time that I sit down and look at the standings and start thinking about what exactly do we have, what do we not have, what do we need, where are we in terms of, you know, if I'm running a team, which I'm clearly not because I'm sitting here doing a podcast, but If I'm looking at it to try to start really figuring out where I am, Memorial Day is about the time that I put a lot of stock in the records. But we're fast approaching that. In fact, we'll be there in less than two weeks. So that's going to get here before we know it. Be that as it may, as always, I invite you to subscribe to the podcast, iTunes, Google Play, Spotify, SoundCloud, and Stitcher. Leave a rating and a review. Always appreciate those. There have been a lot of great ones. And certainly, thank you all for taking the time to do that. And be sure to follow along on social media. I am at Grant McCauley, G-R-A-N-T-M-C-A-U-L-E-Y. And you can follow From the Diamond at From the Diamond underscore on Twitter as well. And over at FromTheDiamond.com. I've got a lot of things planned. I've had some things planned for a little while now, but going to start rolling some new stuff out. And you can find every episode of the podcast over at FromTheDiamond.com as well. That's where you can find everything, all our Braves and baseball discussion all season long, FromTheDiamond.com. All right, so let's dive into this episode of the show, and let's start with some Atlanta Braves news, as we always do. Then we'll move through and get to your Atlanta Braves questions as well before we get out of here. Obviously, as I mentioned, that 6-4 and four road trip is a good thing for the Braves. They started off with three wins in Miami. You expect that, and you've got to beat up on that Marlins team. They quite simply are just not built to win this year. They're going to be in that rebuild for a little while, so you can't afford to go into Miami and drop a game or drop a couple of games because that's going to cost you not only the National League East, but overall, when you start to look back over the course of the season and you get into that crunch time of August, September, and you're X amount of games back or only X amount of games ahead, whether that's in the division or the wild card, games and losses against a Miami team like that, those will be ones you'll circle and say, we let that one get away. So good for the Braves to start off their road trip 3-0. and That's the good news that started the trip. The bad news was you had to go into Los Angeles 
and play at Dodger Stadium. That's a place where two things were going on. Number one, the Braves simply don't win there very often. They have just six wins there since the start of 2013. That's a pretty good run. That's a pretty big sample size, and the Braves have not figured out how to break that curse there. They were swept in the three-game series. Good pitching by the Dodgers. Not enough offense, certainly, for the Braves in some of those games, but also you really just didn't get the pitching that kept those games close as well. The Dodgers are a relentless ball club. I mean, and they've got a lineup that, sure, I mean, they've got Cody Bellinger, and that's great, and he has been fantastic this year, but they have other guys that a lot of casual fans might look at and say, well, who exactly is that? And they let you know at some point during the series because they always just seem to have that next man up mentality. They've got some veteran players. Like, you know who Justin Turner is. He was having a very quiet season. And then the Braves rolled into town, and he proceeded to pretty much beat up on them as a one-man wrecking crew throughout that series, hitting four home runs. So that wasn't going the way the Braves wanted it to. And you ran into some really good pitching. In particular, Hunjin Ryu was fantastic. Braves got a little bit off Walker Bueller, a little bit off Clayton Kershaw. Ryu, though, and we're seeing this in his last start, he carried a no-hitter, I believe, into the eighth inning. So this is the guy that's getting it done this year. He really got it done against the Braves, hurling a complete game shutout at him. And it was just kind of par for the course in that series. And the most important thing that you can do after a series like that is to try to put it behind you. The Braves went out to Arizona. They had themselves a nice 2-1 lead. Josh Donaldson hit a home run in the eighth inning. They hand it to Luke Jackson, who's been their best reliever all season long. And all of a sudden, the Diamondbacks tie it up, force it to extras, and walk them off. And the Braves find themselves in a four-game losing streak. These are the things that are going to happen over the course of a season. There are going to be those times where seemingly nothing goes right for you. And if it weren't for bad luck, especially in the Dodgers series, the Braves would virtually have no luck at all. I mean, when they did hit the ball hard, a Dodger defender was there. And a lot of times he was there to make a great play. And that's just the kind of stuff that you have to chalk up to the course of the 162. And in particular, having to respect what your opponent's doing because the Dodgers do it at a pretty high level, but the highest level you're going to find in all the National League as well. But to get back to Arizona, they really needed a win. And they needed to figure out how to piece that thing together and get out of that series with hopefully a 500 road trip at the very least. But a funny thing happened. All of a sudden, the pendulum swung back the other way. The Braves started getting some of the hits they needed, and they started getting really good starting pitching in that series against Arizona as well, for the most part. I mean, Max Fried, not as sharp as he normally is, but the Braves still able to win behind him. Mike Soroka was good. Kevin Gosman was good as well. And really, I mean, I say Mike Soroka is good. We're finding out exactly how good this kid is. I mean, it's just amazing to watch at 21 years old the level at which he's pitching and the cerebral nature in which he goes about his business that's something that you like to see every fifth day and something i'd like to see every fifth day for a while so kudos to the braves pitching staff for really getting it done and then we started to see something that i was really wondering when it was going to come and that's shuffling the lineup not just changing a piece or two but really giving the opportunity for different guys who are hitting to be moved around and hopefully find a spark that can maybe remedy some of the ineptitudes when it comes to runners and scoring position. The Braves have really squandered a lot of opportunities there, and there's not really an explanation for it. There's not really an easy way to go about fixing it. I mean, you have the guys who are up there with the opportunities they're given, and they either succeed or they fail. I mean, that's the game of baseball, but... As you go through a season and notice that maybe something's just not quite clicking, there may not be an analytic or a metric that tells you, hey, we'll make changes to X, Y, and Z, and that'll fix all of this, and we won't really move around certain pieces on the board. 
job of a manager really is to try to find ways to spark his club. When you look back into 2018 and you think about the spark that the Braves needed in the second half of last year, that was Ronald Acuna Jr. He was tremendous at the leadoff spot. And tremendous is really understating what he did because he rode that performance to a Rookie of the Year award. And now at the top of the order is exactly where I want to see him. It's exactly where I think he wants to be. And I also think that it gives him that just ultimate plugged-in feeling from pitch number one on. And mindset or not, for a leadoff hitter, for a cleanup hitter, whatever that may be, for a young player, for a veteran, I just feel like you want to put your guys in a position to succeed. And at the top of the order is really, I think, the position that allows Ronald Acuna Jr. not only to succeed, but to thrive because he can do a number of different things. He can impact the game immediately, kind of sets a tone. You've got an immediate threat, so the opposing pitcher realizes that the lineup is going to be a tough day at the office for them. I think that's hugely important. And the Braves haven't necessarily had that in the leadoff spot. And I think it's less about what Ozzie Albies was or was not doing, and not even so much about what Ender Enciarte was not doing at the top of the order, and more about what Acuna can do for you at the top of the order. That's why I like that change so much. And I think it's going to be something we're going to see for a little while, at least, especially given his track record in that spot uh, since the, what, the all-star break of last year. It's just a great place for him. It's where he's had his success. And that's a well I'm going to go to until that well runs dry. And I'm not thinking that his production is going to run dry at all. But in terms of making a change that can spark the lineup and maybe spark Acuna, that's kind of a move that accomplishes two things. So let's talk a little bit about this lineup change that the Braves had as they get set for this homestand with three against the Cardinals and three against the Brewers. We're going to see that lineup, of course, in game one against the Cardinals. That was already put out on Tuesday afternoon. But what other pieces were in play when the lineup did get shuffled? I'm glad you asked. Dansby Swanson has been hitting extremely well. This guy came into the season as the Braves' eighth place hitter, as a guy who had a ton of questions around what it is he was going to be as a hitter. Had we seen Dansby Swanson at peak performance? I don't think so. And you look at last year, and there have been struggles that have followed him really since he exploded onto the scene in 2016 with a good, what, month, month and a half at the big league level, hit over 300. You felt like you had a pretty good idea of what he could be, and you felt pretty encouraged, I think, if you watched Dansby Swanson in his initial taste of the big leagues. As it does, the course of a 162-game major league season, a lot of different things play out. And I think that there was a lot of pressure that was put on this kid. There's no two ways about that from a marketing standpoint, if nothing else. And then, of course, the expectations of himself, the club, the fans, whoever else, you're going to feel those. If you're a human being, you're going to feel those, even if you are a professional athlete. And many people assume that this is what you get paid to do as though you are a robot. Well, you're not. And I think for Swanson and any young player, if you struggle, sometimes that can manifest in a lot of different ways. It can also stick around, you know, long beyond where you feel like it should have stopped, where you feel like I'm going to find the answer. I'm going to turn the corner. I've always performed at every level, whether that's as an amateur kid or a college star, a first round draft pick, first round draft pick, number one overall at that. There's a lot of success on this kid's resume. So for Swanson coming into this year, He really, I think this was, I don't want to say a make or break year, but it was a pivotal year in his career because a few things were really starting to become clear about the way that the Braves were looking to construct their roster. More versatility, which was going to mean more playing time could be required at different positions for a guy like Johan Camargo. 
this is a, a player that can go at third, short, second. He can put on a first baseman's mitt, and we've seen him in the outfield as well. The Braves are going to want to find a place for him, and finding a place for him four or five times a week to get him starts, and then pinch hitting him and switching him into games in and out different positions if they needed to, those were all going to be things asked of Johan Camargo. However, the dual role that that provides and that Camargo provides is basically insurance for any player that underperforms over a long period of time. If you break out of the gate and you're batting 179 with a couple of home runs and you're just having a tough time after about a month or so, you're probably going to lose your at-bats and your playing time because they need to change things up, move things around if there's someone else who can step into your position and play it at a high level. And Johan Camargo can do that. He would be a perfectly capable major league shortstop. Defensively, he would not be what Dansby Swanson is. But offensively speaking, we saw last year, there's a lot of potential in that bat. He's a switch hitter. Obviously, there's a lot to like when you look at Johan Camargo in a vacuum. And there's a lot to like about having that kind of versatile weapon on your club and using him in a number of different ways. But to get back to Dansby Swanson, that was something I think everybody was wondering about, was how long is the leash for the starting job for this guy? Will he end up being platooned again? That was certainly possible. I mean, if Dansby Swanson didn't make some adjustments or step forward this year, take a step forward with the bat, that is, you can make an argument that someone else maybe should be out there at least a couple of times a week. To be an everyday player in the big leagues now, you've got to be able to perform at a high level against both righties and lefties and in clutch situations and defensively speaking. I don't think defense has ever been more important in the game of baseball in terms of what people value, how they value it, how it's measured, and how it is put into the overall analytical cake that is baked every year for a team than it is now. Front offices have multi-pronged efforts to find every advantage, every possible advantage that you can find in the players that end up on the 25-man roster and the guys that are in the starting lineup each and every day and the guys who come in for certain matchups. If you want to start talking about the bullpen and things of that nature. But long story short, Dansby Swanson needed to show something at the plate this year. He's done that. He's silenced a lot of doubters. Mechanically, he's made some changes to his swing that I think have made a huge difference. He's driving the ball to all fields. He's hitting the ball hard. Strikeout rate's down, walk rate is up, and he's essentially hit his way from eight in the order to six in the order and now to two in the order. And I'm interested to see how long he's going to get there because I think that this is a place, and from talking to a few people around the team over the last two or three years, and I don't think it's any great secret, I think they've long envisioned him as a number two hitter for this club because he, number one, they felt like was going to make enough of an impact with the bat in terms of run production. And also, he handles the bat well. He runs the bases extremely well. He's just, they, when you are looking for a prototypical two-hitter, you just felt like he checked a lot of boxes. Struggling, though, and dealing with that wrist injury, that did not make it easy to see exactly what Dansby Swanson could be. And you were starting to look at what he had been in 2017 with struggles. And 2018, albeit not healthy all season because of the wrist problem, you started to wonder, is there another gear here? Is there another level? Is he going to take that step forward? And I've always felt that this is true of, of all minor league players, prospects, and regardless of the age, they all come along at different times. And at no time in baseball, to kind of go back to this again, has it seemed like young talent is propelled to the big leagues with a rocket strapped to their back, more so than it seems like now. I mean, there've always been the 19-year-old kid in the you know, the 20-year-old prospect that just rockets to the majors and 
automatically kind of catches the sport by storm. And, you, you know, you love that story. You know, I mean, the King Griffey Juniors, I mean, the Bryce Harpers, the Mike Trouts, whoever it may be, although Trout did struggle some early on in his career. But those guys are typically the exception and not the rule. For other guys, they'll come in, there'll be some good, there'll be some bad, and there'll be some adjustments. And the adjustments are the key piece here. And that's what has Dansby Swanson going from an eighth-place hitter and a kind of a question mark with the bat to being an integral piece of the lineup, batting second, with a lot more confidence for both him and I think for the Braves and for any fan that watches him now because he's always been a clutch player. He's come up with a lot of big hits for this Braves team, and he thrives in those opportunities. He loves being the guy that it comes down to, that has the bat in his hand. And there's something to be said for having guys with that kind of fire and that kind of passion and that kind of competitive spirit. So those are X factors in terms of some of the intangible stuff that you like the mindset, you like the makeup, and you always heard that, but you've got to see results. I mean, there has to be some results because baseball is all about the numbers. And we're seeing the numbers this year from Dansby Swanson. So he's batting second. Ronald Acuna Jr., I could do a whole podcast on. In fact, I have done a whole podcast on Ronald Acuna Jr. and what the leadoff spot means. And to just go spot by spot in this order, Ronald Acuna Jr., really, he just fits the leadoff spot for me. I like what he does there. Doesn't mean he's your typical slap the ball around, steal second, steal third, score on a sack fly kind of guy. No, he's an impact player. And I'm all about getting my best players, the most played appearances, and I think Ronald Acuna Jr. is fast becoming one of the best players in baseball. It's a no-brainer to me to make sure he gets to bat the most times of anybody in that lineup. So that's a good thing to see. Dansby Swanson's batting second. We just went all over that. I think he's earned that opportunity. Freddie Freeman's been batting third, and he'll be batting third. That's just not something I think the Braves want to mess with at all. Josh Donaldson in a cleanup spot. I'm not going to spend a whole lot of time on this because I really don't think it's necessary. I mean, I know he likes hitting second. I know he's had a ton of production in his career, an MVP, a guy that can carry a lineup when he gets hot. And it would be great if he was hitting second and, say, Ronald Acuna Jr. sitting first and Freddie Freeman sitting third, and you've got a big thumper in the middle of the order after that, and you just, you're able to just go down that lineup card and know that there's not going to be a drop-off. But Acuna hasn't dropped off really in the cleanup spot overall if you look at his overall numbers. But he also has kind of had some hot times and some not-so-hot times, and he's trying to make those adjustments. And I don't know if it's the mindset thing. I don't know that that would affect a Josh Donaldson in a different way than it affects a Ronald Acuna Jr., but I do feel like Josh Donaldson certainly is capable, based on his talent level alone, of being an above-average major league cleanup hitter, and that's, of course, what the Braves are hoping he will be. And oddly enough, at the top of the order, if I saw the stat correctly this week before the lineup change was made, batting second in the order, Josh Donaldson only had 18 plate appearances with runners in scoring position. That's not what you're looking for. So giving him a spot in the middle of the order behind a Freddie Freeman, also with a Dansby Swanson, who's been pretty much getting on base at a high rate this year as well, had some tough luck. I mean, he's not batting 300, but it feels like he's hitting 300. He's been that good this year. And then you know what Ronald Acuna Jr. is. So having a runner or two on for Josh Donaldson, I think will ramp up the quality of the output that you're going to get, not only from Donaldson, but from that cleanup spot as well, because you've started to cluster together a whole bunch of guys that are capable of performing at a high level. And when you cluster those guys together and you're getting that production, that I think is going to take care of all the runners and scoring position stuff we've been hearing about for the past three, four weeks where the hits just not have not been coming. I think that's going to turn. It always does. Over the course of 162, the peaks and valleys, the highs, the lows, and the adjustments that you make, this is one of those things I think is going to work itself out. But shaking up the lineup is just something you have to do 
in order to spark things and get things turned around. So it's not because a bunch of guys are underperforming, but more so maximizing their performance in different spots in the lineup. I really like the fact that they've done that, and I think that Acuna, Swanson, Freeman, Donaldson, Marquez, Albies, the catcher, and Enciarte, if that's your starting eight, you can do a lot worse. You can look across baseball and find a lot worse. These are guys that when they are going, I think they're going to be able to score a lot of runs. Now, there's some other questions that we'll get to, particularly in your questions for the Braves mailbag or the Q&A that we're going to get to in the second half of the show regarding some changes that could be made beyond that. But as far as the lineup's going right now, I think you got to like where it's trending. And, of course, there's room for improvement and a lot of baseball left to be played. So let's really break down Ronald Acuna Jr.'s sophomore season. I thought it was amusing uh, a week into the season that you had the Marlins TV broadcast asking if he was in a sophomore slump. Of course not. You ask that question after you've got at least a month's worth of games under your belt, not six games under your belt or whatever it was at that time. Looking overall at Ronald Acuna Jr. thus far through 40 games this season, 279 average, 369 on base, and slugging just under 500 at 483, and he had about a two-week homerless drought. Interesting things as you just look across those numbers is that he's walking more this year. I think that's a good thing. The on-base percentage is certainly more than adequate to be hitting in one of the top spots in the order, and I think it's going to improve because when he goes on a hot streak, there are not too many guys that get much hotter than Ronald Acuna Jr. does. But his season has been a little bit of a mixed bag in terms of it hasn't been, I think, as consistent as he'd like for it to be. It was cold, a little bit unlucky in that first week, and then he got hot, and then it kind of turned into a question of when's he going to get hot again? And that went on for a little while. And now changing spots in the order, I think could make a major difference. And Ronald Acuna Jr. When he's going right is one of the most fun players to watch in all of baseball. And he was going right. And he was going right for about a week, a couple of games in Colorado, a series against the Mets first game against Arizona. He was piling up home runs and knocking in a bunch of runs. And you started to feel pretty good about where he was at that time. Well, then the couple of weeks that followed that, prior to his four-hit game, which came against the Miami Marlins on the recent road trip, he batted 217 over a 60-at-bat sample with two doubles, no homers, and six runs knocked in. A lot of strikeouts, 18 of those in his 16 games. And so he wasn't quite the same hitter at that time. He was dealing with a little bit of a stiff back, and that could be one of the things that was affecting him, no doubt about it. You're going to have aches and pains throughout the season. But following the four-hit game for Acuna, he was able to – have a pretty good road trip for himself, a couple of home runs, and started to put together a little bit of a hitting streak. So I don't worry about him long-term because this is a kid that I think does thrive at the top of the order. Now let's hear from Braves hitting coach Kevin Seitzer, who's also a fan of having Ronald Acuna Jr. at the top of the order and spoke in the Arizona series about what it means to put this kid back up top. There's definitely a comfort factor um, that comes into hitting when you're used to hitting as you're growing up and part of the player development stuff. He, he was a leadoff guy, so... You know, but just getting uh, getting more comfortable. Um, we made some adjustments mechanically with him that really helped him see the ball better, stay short, not get so big, and you know. And then good results breeds confidence, and and he had a lot of confidence because of some results early, and then he just rolled. And I mean, he's a special talent, so it's. Uh, it's been fun to watch, and hopefully he'll catch fire again now that he's back up there, and you know we'll get on a roll as an offense. Now, leadoff is a place that he really likes to be. There's no two ways about that. You can tell Ronald Acuna Jr. enjoys. I mean, he genuinely enjoys playing the game of baseball. 
And that most certainly is what endears him, I think, to Braves fans and baseball fans in general. This is a kid that does enjoy what he's doing, and that's a spot that energizes him. Now, it's not just about where you hit in the order, but it's what you're doing throughout the course of the season. And for Ronald, like every other hitter, you're going to have to make adjustments. Kevin Seitzer talked about what the young outfielder's been working on to get himself back on track the last week and a half. You know, we showed him extra base hits last year um, compared to where what position he's getting into the fire this year, and he was probably four or five inches higher with his hands when he was getting ready to go. And so, you know, it's hard for a hitter to think, don't raise your hands, and so we just told him just lower them to start let them go where they go and you know that that has helped tremendously so you know I, I think once he he starts getting on a little bit of a roll I told Sinet in LA I go I feel like Ronnie's going to get hot and you know he's having better passes uh, better timing on the fastballs and that's a big thing so you're kind of always a work in progress even for a guy like Acuna as talented as he is he's going to have to recognize little small things that can be adjusted whether it be a little bad habit dropping your hands and not realizing it, moving the bat back into a place where maybe normally it wouldn't be, but you don't feel it. And then all of a sudden you watch a little bit of film, you get with your hitting coach and you start to figure out what may or may not have been working, why you're getting beat in certain counts or certain places, what the pitcher's tendencies are, all the things that you have to do. And believe me, it's not as simple as just grip it and rip it. Guys that can do that are pretty rare, but I would say more times than not, there's an awful lot of work that goes into the talent that you see out there performing at that high level. And that involves a lot of work behind the scenes, a lot of adjustments, and a lot of dedication also thrown in with being a world-class talent, which Acuna certainly is that as well. So it seems like things are trending pretty well for Ronald Acuna as he goes back to the top of the order for what feels like it'll be a little while. Another interesting story on this road trip, before we get to your questions, is Sean Newcomb returning from AAA Gwinnett. Maybe sooner than some people thought he would, only a handful of starts down there, but the last two starts, his control improved dramatically. He was not walking anyone, and that was something the Braves were hoping to see when he went down there. But bringing Sean Newcomb back was not about putting him back into the rotation. He has not made a start in the eight or ten days that he's been back up. He has, however, made four relief appearances for the Braves, and it looks like, including back-to-back games, that Brian Snitker and company are going to test out what they might have as far as a bullpen piece in Sean Newcomb. And right now, I think that this is the ideal time to just try it out. Doesn't mean he'll be in the bullpen forever, but there are so many question marks out there in terms of health, in terms of viability, in terms of who's going to step up and get certain outs on certain nights. And Sean Newcomb is a guy that clearly can go multiple innings if you needed him to do that, or a guy that can just come in and not have to worry about the second and third time through the order, just let it fly, and it can hit the mid-90s. And his curveball, since coming back up, has been extremely, extremely good. Probably the best I've seen it since the first half of last year. So Sean Newcomb spoke after his first relief appearance against the Dodgers on the road trip about what it means to be back and what he gained from going down to AAA. You know, get a little ticked off about it. Obviously, you want to be here, but uh, I was able to kind of take that and stay focused, you know, each day, just find something to get better and not worry about the things I can't control. Just kind of go out there and put my best effort. Now, frankly, I love hearing that. I think it's great that he realized that emotionally speaking, yeah, you're going to be ticked off because you just lost your job in the starting rotation and you kind of got to go prove yourself again. Even if you know that there's a high probability that you're coming back, the fact that something was to the point that they needed to make that change in general for a guy that was a big piece of the rotation last year, I think might have been a little bit of a wake-up call. 
opportunity to kind of hit the reset button, maybe to simplify some things, and maybe pitching a relief will help him do that even further. But really love what I've seen out of him thus far. I would love to see some more of it. If he's pitching on back-to-back days and can be used quite a bit, this is a guy that I think might be one of the answers the Braves were looking for when Alex Anthopoulos was talking a few weeks ago about, hey, our bullpen's a problem, and we're going to try some external things, but we're also going to have to try to deal with this problem internally. Internally means perhaps some of these young pitchers, whether it's Sean Newcomb or some of these prospects, find a way to make these guys useful. You get these guys into the bullpen if they've got big arms and see if you can utilize them for the time being there and then figure out your long-term plan as you go. Make it a fluid situation, but big league opportunities for some of these young arms that don't have a lot to prove in AAA. And Sean Newcomb, to me, is one of those guys. He's already been in the big leagues. He doesn't have anything left to prove in AAA, even with options. I mean, sending him down there and leaving him for three or four months, if he's pitching well, there's really not a point in that just to leave him in rotation. So, I like the fact that they've kind of flipped the script here and they're utilizing Sean Newcomb as a bullpen piece, whether this is a permanent thing or just something that's for the time being. It's something that definitely helps the club, and it seems like Sean Newcomb is up for the challenge, and that's also good to see. So let's answer some of your Braves questions before I get out of here. I asked for these on Twitter. At Grant McCauley, of course, is where you can find me. At From the Diamond underscore, where you can follow the podcast. Appreciate you following along and, of course, listening as well. So I wanted to get some of your questions from what's been a pretty eventful eight or 10 days for the Braves on this road trip. And of course, down on the farm. So I'm going to combine about half the questions I got because they all center around the red hot bat of Austin Riley. This is a guy that has turned into basically a reincarnation of Babe Ruth over the past couple of weeks. He's belted 12 home runs. He's leading the international league in home runs, RBIs, run score, total bases. I mean, this guy is red hot hitting well over 400 the last couple of weeks, slugging over 1,000. I mean, he's walking and not striking out all that much as well. Extra base hits are there. He's leading the International League in extra base hits. He's doing it all, and he's doing it at such a high level that the question is quite obvious at this point. He came into the season as the Braves' top-hitting prospect. And there's a couple of other guys that are in that discussion, but for right now, Austin Riley, the Braves' best-hitting prospect and the one who's closest to the majors. Let's qualify it that way. So the question I got, a lot of questions, came around the, do I think he gets called up soon? And my answer is perhaps. And could it happen today, tomorrow, the next day, or whenever you're listening to this podcast? It absolutely could. And the numbers would bear out that he's earned the opportunity to do it. Now, the big thing that the Braves are doing right now is quite obviously going to have a trickle-down effect on not only the lineup, but also defensively what you've got going on. The big development in this story is that Austin Riley is now playing left field on a fairly regular basis. It was supposed to be a couple times a week, and then he didn't do much of that for the first three, four weeks of the season. All of a sudden, over the last week or so, week or 10 days, and depending on when you're listening to this podcast, I don't expect this trend to change altogether too much. He had played the bulk of his time at third base, but all of a sudden, now he's playing left field. He did a little bit in spring training, but this bat has gotten to the point where you need to find out what you have, and you've got to find a place to play him. And left field right now is owned by Ronald Acuna Jr., who also can play some center field, as we've seen throughout the season and throughout last year and, of course, throughout his minor league career. In center field, you have Ender Inciarte, who has been a gold glover for the last three years, but off to a very slow start in 2019. And this is where the dominoes start to get set up if Austin Riley is called up, because quite obviously, if Nick Markakis is performing just as he did a year ago in terms of a, a great start and he's been a good contributor to this lineup, he's not going anywhere. In center field, if you can put Ronald Acuna Jr. out there, you love what he does at the plate, and you'll take him in center field. I think he's adequate. I think there's some improvements he can make defensively. I don't think we've seen the best of him out there, either in left or in center. 
But I think there's room for improvement, and I think the guy's certainly capable of playing the position. There's no two ways about that. So then I think you can live with putting a mostly bat, not so much a glove, out in left field in order to energize, revamp, or simply strengthen and lengthen that lineup. And that's what Austin Riley would do. I don't think he'd come up and immediately hit cleanup. I don't think he'd come up and immediately hit fifth. I think he'd probably slot somewhere six or seven, depending on what you want to do. And that may sound like, well, that's crazy. This guy's raking a triple A. Well, there are guys at the top of the order, one, two, three, four, that I don't think are going to move anytime soon, barring an injury. And that's something else that might be part of Austin Riley's path to the majors, whether it happens this week, next week, two months from now, or in 2020. If he's going to be a third baseman, there's got to be a clear spot for him there. And right now, in 2019, there's not. And I'm going to go ahead and go on record and tell you, I hope that there's not a clear spot at third base for him this year, only because that means that Josh Donaldson is healthy and producing. And those are two things that the Braves very much need for the $23 million they're paying. So a couple of the other questions that have to do with the outfield alignment and also with Austin Riley is, Adam Duvall is also in AAA Gwinnett. He's also hitting a bunch of home runs. Who would get the call first, Duvall or Riley? Well, you don't have to worry about service time with Adam Duvall in terms of you're not worried about making him a super two. You can bring him right on back up and maybe give him a shot again if you feel like he can benefit the club. Does it seem likely that the Braves will go back to the well they went to in 2018 where they got Duvall while he was struggling, wanted to give him time in left field, wanted to sit Ender Inciarte against lefties, move Ronald Acuna Jr. to center field. Then they got nil production out of Duvall and had to kind of revert the plan, which ended up being a good thing because then Ender Inciarte started hitting. That's the funny thing is you can make all these plans you want, but then guys have got to go out there and produce, and that will either make you look like a genius or make you look like you need to go back to the drawing board. There's two ways that can go. Uh, I do think there's a possibility Duvall could get called up before Riley, and it would have nothing to do with, oh, he's outproducing him, he outranks him, whatever it is. I think service time will always be a bit of a factor for every club, and a bit of a factor might be underselling exactly what it may be. But long story short, when you're attempting to win in a season, you're going to have to change plans and pivot at different times. And if the Braves feel like it's time to pivot and make a change in the outfield, they've got two guys here they could consider. Duvall, who has big league experience, is a former All-Star. He's hit 30 homers twice at the major leagues. And then a guy in Austin Riley that a lot of people think could hit 30 homers in the big leagues one day, and it could be one day soon. So the Braves will have to kind of weigh that out. Now, what does a Riley promotion or any other move mean for the Atlanta outfield in terms of what does it mean for Ender Inciarte? He does quite obviously seem to be the other piece if the Braves intend to have Riley come up because if Austin Riley comes up, and this was another question I got about it, is he going to play every day? Well, of course. I don't think you bring him up if he can't play every day or at least five times a week if you wanted to kind of move some pieces around the board and, and give a guy a start here and there. And then Ender Inciarte becomes a rather expensive fourth outfielder, but if it's in the name of making the team better, making the lineup better, and scoring more runs – then the Braves will have to cross that bridge and make that decision when they get there. Because, again, you could have Riley in left. You could have Acuna in center. You could have Marquecas in right. And then that doesn't leave a whole lot for Ender and Ciarte. So could they shop him? Sure, they certainly could. But the value right now is not where it needs to be. If you're hoping to get a maximum return for him, the value is just not at its peak point right now. So you don't want to sell low. You don't want to just dump the contract. You'd like to feel like you make your club better anytime you move a player who has been at the caliber of Enciarte. And I know a lot of people have been sour on Enciarte just based on the slow starts the last couple of years, and that's fine. Again, this is a game that is all about production. There's no way getting around that. You've got to be able to put the numbers up, and when you get to the second week of May, 
end of May, whatever it may be, these are the kind of times where a club can look down and say, we've got plenty of time left in the year. If we make a change now, how much will that benefit us and in what ways? And if the answers are we're a better team with this player out there, then that's the time you can see those moves made. Does not mean Austin Riley will come up tomorrow. Doesn't mean he'll come up next week. So we'll continue to monitor what happens with Austin Riley, and hopefully he'll continue hitting in AAA, and he'll force the Braves into making a decision that will be good for the club and good for him and obviously enjoyable for fans as well. One more question about Austin Riley. Do I think he'll be the opening day third baseman in 2020? As of right now, I think it feels pretty likely there's a lot of things that can happen in the next 120 or so games. The Braves could make another move. They could extend Josh Donaldson or resign Josh Donaldson over the offseason. But I think it's really premature to try to answer that part of the equation. But if you're looking at what's in place and what's in-house and what Austin Riley's doing and what position he has primarily been, him being the opening day third baseman in 2020 would be one of the least surprising developments of the winter. All right, one question I've probably already answered, but I'll go one more time on it anyway. It comes from at Smiley underscore Kane. Are the Braves going to keep Ronald Acuna in the leadoff role? I believe they will, and I believe that's going to be that way for a little while. The only thing that would change is if he's not performing at the top of the order, the lineup isn't scoring runs, maybe you'd see it shaking up again. But just going back to how well he performed there and how much I think he enjoys hitting there, I would imagine he'll be up there for a little while, if not the rest of the year. All right, from Wes Jenkins on Twitter, who is your favorite Braves player you got to meet? Pretty easy one here. And I've gotten to meet him a couple of times. Haven't gotten to speak in any length with him, but meeting Hank Aaron has been probably one of the biggest thrills from my media career. Having an opportunity to talk with him for just a couple of minutes was definitely a thrill. No doubt about that. I won't forget that anytime soon. Also from Wes Jenkins, will there be any more extensions given out this year? The answer to that is wait and see. There are obviously some candidates for that. We'll see how that might play out. And are the Braves just waiting on the draft pick required to go away to fully pursue Craig Kimbrell? I would say chances are pretty good. If he's not signed and that draft pick compensation is no longer involved, that would be the optimal time for a club like the Braves or any other team that was waiting on that to jump in and really make their move. And the Braves, I believe, have the money to spend how they want to spend it, when they want to spend it. Those are the questions they're working through. All right, from at Fear the Chop 10 on Twitter, in your opinion, is Dansby Swanson overperforming, or do you feel he could actually be doing better given his seemingly bad luck on hard-hit balls in play? That's a good question. And no, I don't think he's overperforming. And I think you really kind of answered your question, at least the way that I would, is this guy has hit the ball well to all fields all year long, and it seems like once a night or every other day, somebody's making a diving play or a leaping play or dragging one in on the warning track or at the wall to take extra bases away from Dansby Swanson. If he keeps hitting like this, I don't think we're going to have to wonder if he's overperforming or if he's simply found the level that he's going to be playing at for the foreseeable future. All right, this question from Will Pettis, who will be catching for the Braves next season? That's a very good question because both of the veteran catchers, Tyler Flowers and Brian McCann, free agents this coming winter. It would not shock me to see one or both of them back in 2020 if they end the season healthy and productive And thus far, you've got to like what the Braves catchers have given you through the first seven or eight weeks of the year, both in terms of their offensive value and, of course, in terms of what they bring to a young staff. You could go year to year with this. The Braves have been pretty comfortable going year to year with catchers for a while. The couple of names to keep an eye on in the minor leagues, William Contreras, I don't think he's going to be ready to start 2020. I don't think that's the road they're going to go down. 
Alex Jackson, of course, we saw a little bit of in the big leagues, but since he's gone back to Gwinnett, he's been hitting pretty well this year as well. So it's going to be a pivotal time for him, kind of a make-or-break time as far as a prospect is concerned, to really get on the Braves' radar and stay there. But you could get into the offseason, look around in the winter. There might be a trade to be made. There may be a free agent catcher out there, something that just really strikes the Braves' fancy that could change the entire complexion of what they'll do at that position. So right now, my answer is not really sure. A lot of ways they could go, but I don't think that they're really too worried about it right now. It'll just be part of assessing what happens in 2019 and deciding where they want to go. All right, one more question. How does the team balance win now and future potential when they can contend now and seem to have tremendous future potential? That's from Bucky Horton. I think a lot of people are wondering that. I think a lot of that has to do with when are they going to spend, what premier free agent are they going to go after, you know, all of the different components that go into that, and, of course, what the Braves have built internally when it comes to the core of this team. It's a difficult balance. I don't know that there's any one way to do it, but I think the biggest thing is you want to create that window of contention. And you want to do things that set you up for long-term success. But at some point, you also want to feel like you can throw all your chips in the middle in a given season and say, all right, we're good, but now let's go get great because we're going to make this change or this change or add this player or these players. And that, I think, is the time that the Braves are fast approaching. If they have not already approached it in the offseason of 2018 going into 19, this next trade deadline and the winter that follows are going to be big times to know exactly where the Braves are heading what the barometer is telling them in terms of what they have in-house and what they need and the trajectory of the team coming off of a division title and being in the midst of a race thus far in 2019. And it looks like a race that's going to be a lot different than people thought. The Washington Nationals went out and spent a bunch of money in the offseason, and they really haven't gotten much of a return on that. In fact, they're off to one of their worst starts in recent memory. The New York Mets have been a bit of a mess. I mean, they did spend a lot of money as well, but that has not necessarily translated into a hot start or winning more than they're losing, really. They've been about a 500 club for most of the season. The Nationals, the only team with a worse record in the National League, at least for the moment, is the Miami Marlins, and we didn't expect them to be a factor in the NLE standings. And then you look at the Phillies. They spent a lot of money. We talked a ton about that on this podcast, and everyone's talked a ton about that. They haven't gotten that immediate return on investment that has them 10 or 11 games over 500 and seven or eight games up in the standings. The longer people are able to hang around, the more you feel like this is a winnable division and the Braves are certainly in a position if they're able to address some of their needs, which include the bullpen and might include looking at what you could do with a top prospect like Austin Riley or what have you. Those are the kind of questions that get answered over the course of the season and then you like to get into the winter and feel like you've got some targets out there to make your club better. I'll be very surprised if the Braves go into this coming winter and it's as quiet as it was the past winter. I think there's reasons for some of the guys they didn't sign. I think there's a case to be made for some acquisitions that didn't happen, most certainly. I think it's kind of a 50-50 proposition. And I also think that there are trades they could make during the course of a season which could change things altogether or going into the winter and figuring out what players they want to acquire and add to the core that they have in place. Because they've got a good core in place. We know what Freddie Freeman is. You lock down Ronald Acuna Jr. and Ozzie Albies to multiple-year extensions. You have a Max Fried and a Mike Soroka stepping up in the rotation. You've got Julio Tehran coming off the books at the end of the year. There's going to be some big changes to this club, I feel like. Not big changes in terms of necessarily guys going out, but needing to bring guys in. So, 
I don't know what Alex Antopoulos has up his sleeve, but I know that he's got the foundation in place to add to it and hopefully have a long window for the Braves to contend, but it will come down to what kind of acquisitions they want to make and what kind of money they want to spend, and that is something we'll all find out together as we roll through the next weeks, months, and possibly years of the Braves playing what we hope to be a pretty good brand of baseball. At least that's the plan. All right, that'll do it for this episode of From the Diamond. As always, subscribe, iTunes, Google Play, Spotify, SoundCloud, and Stitcher. Ratings and reviews always appreciated. And you can follow me on social media. I am at Grant McCauley, G-R-A-N-T-M-C-A-U-L-E-Y. And also at From the Diamond underscore, where you can find the show on Twitter, FromTheDiamond.com. That's where you can find every episode of the podcast and all the articles and other content I'm going to be working on and looking to get out to you throughout the course of the 2019 season. Thank you so much for listening and for joining me on this solo voyage on From the Diamond. We'll be back next week to talk some more Braves and the rest of baseball. So until then, I'm Grant McCauley, and I will catch you next time on From the Diamond. So long, everyone.